0: The Ticehurst Rat, Part 2 Dear Listener, To Recap Crabtree and Plumpton's foul discovery in a dilapidated, crumbling, ancient and long-closed, at least for paying residents, private mental hospital, lost in the bleakly grim and semi-pagan county of East Sussex, where it sat frozen, in black mire and hidden from the intrusive eyes of passing strangers behind impenetrable hawthorn and gorse hedges, that poked fiercely, prickly, and barbed all about it, had become a lair for an utterly insane and disbarred doctor of clinical behaviours and disorders. We continue now with the Major's recollections from his slightly faded and partially blood-stained pocket notebook jottings of this unrelentingly beastly outing. "'Mr. Crabtree, would you tell us what were Dr. Gunn's exact last words?' This bold demand, made in a voice that boomed with deeply sonorous authority and legal learning, came from the prosecution barrister, our learned friend Sir Abinger Broadmoor Lynch, a vicious and masterful heavyweight expert in criminal prosecution. A day in the dock before him would have the most innocent of defendants swear they were guilty of the most depraved of crimes, despite their complete lack of guile. We were enclosed within the vast edifice of the Old Bailey. This great and honourable Justice Hall and Sessions House at Newgate Street, in the very heart of the City of London, was no stranger to the persons of Crabtree and myself. But now we were facing charges of trespass with intent to kidnap and complicity in a peculiar death by means alien to normal reason, charges that Crabtree was in fact quite delighted and rather pleased with. Crabtree's approach to our defence was unique he employed a very junior criminal defence lawyer, whose main duties were to refer all inquiries to Crabtree and every question aimed at the prosecution back to Crabtree, who then took centre stage and commanded the complete attention of the thrilling members of the public, the police and court officials in the famous old number one trial room. My first thoughts to this line of inquiry were that there were no final words as such, at least not in English, from the wretched and babbling figure that wailed dementedly from the mouth of Dr. Gunn. More of a piercing, high-pitched shriek of terrified mania and soul-wrenching terror. Upon our entry to the vile doctor's laboratory study, a place so dark in vice and profane rites of distorted science, that the very air of the room seemed to smother us in an emptying void of loss and despair. Crabtree had at once retrieved from his heavy coat a large silver cross, anointed with holy waters by the archbishops of all denominations at Crabtree's particularly precise request. This gleaming avatar that shone bright in our torchlights caused the repulsive living rat-like effigy to howl in inner torment and turn briskly towards a large hole that had been ripped by bare hands and blunt tools in the wooden panels of the old room and scamper with celerity and a pantomime parody of animal bounds into it. Do not follow, Major. Crabtree's firm warning held me fast. But the blasted thing is escaping. This odious creature needs putting down. My reply was not unnoticed by my old friend, but he knew the sly and crafty methods this foe was capable of. This way, Major. We will catch him in the hall.' And, with torchlight beams knifing like searchlights through the dusted air of the chill, tartarian confines of the madhouse's corridors, we arrived in the vast great hall, our footsteps hard echoed against the distant walls. There, hold fast, Plumpton, unless you want to lose your head. This new caution was fully qualified just visible in the light from our beams and the now brighter illumination that glowed white and cold from the low half-moon, throwing cheeseboard shapes of white and black patchwork within the barren vestibule, we could make out the shape of a crudely hammered together wooden frame. Around it, a system of what appeared to be coiled springs of thick wire. We need some bait, Major. This should suffice. And with slow tiptoe movement... Crabtree drew near to the framework, and, with a magician's flourish, plucked from his poacher's pouch a large chunk of ripe, slippery stilton. And, with a deft, slow, graceful placement, laid it just in front of a newly apparent in the yellowing light, hard-sharpened sliver of crudely erected iron fencing. Then, from the distant upper floor, came a high, brittle voice, barely comprehensible as that of a man. Three blind mice, three blind mice. See how they run, see how they run. (laughs) They all ran after the farmer's wife, who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a sight in your life as three blind mice? the now wildly spinning and insanely capering figure of Dr. Gunn burst into sight as he shot out of a hole at the top of the great staircase. I smell blood. I smell cheese. He squeaked at an ear-piercing level that caused fingernails and chalkboard sensations to crawl down my spine. Crabtree was of firmer stuff. His zen-like stature remained stock-still before the crazed, squealing maniac that hopped in fury and chomping teeth at the edge of the top stair. The creature twitched its ridiculous imitation rat-nose, fingered its now broken wiry whiskers, and, with a final quivering chomp of its bizarre forced teeth, leapt down and bound to the stulton that lay bathed in a pool of gentle white moonlight. The moment of Gunn's death will remain fixed forever in my mind's eye until my dying day, The wretched man landed on the cracked old floorboards with a slap that sent up a cloud of dust and fallen cobwebs. He rolled over once, then hurled himself towards the stinking ooze of the stilton. At that last moment I saw in the terror-filled panic in his eyes his knowledge of his error. As he greedily grabbed the bait, the framework above him burst with shocking speed into grimly violent action. The wire springs, with a whipping slash, released their pent-up energies, and, with a shuddering snap, Gunn was sliced in two by his own barbaric man-trap. The Stilton still chomped tightly between his now-smashed false teeth as his torso twitched once. "'Good Lord, Crabtree, the fowler is caught in his own net.' "'Aptly put, Major.' I fear, though, there are yet bigger and even more deadly vermin behind this small rodent we have had the pleasure of ridding the larger community of. We must head back to Chiswick. The night is coming on, and I have in the back of my mind the recipe for a new and highly stimulating cordial preparation I wish to trial on you, if I may be so bold to consider you a guinea pig. This was Crabtree at his best, a malignant and lunatic adversary dead at his feet, yet his creative drinking regime unperturbed. So, with a last look at the pieces of Dr Gunn, we turned Chiswick Woods and left Ticehurst and its abominable asylum.